they put out a lot of stinkers and a lot of just weirdo stuff and so it's pretty for me it's fun when they get into the weird stuff I hadn't heard or or just a lot of cool records that I had that disappeared when I was young because when I was young I was obsessed like in high school we thought you had all the cassettes or what I have yeah. still you have SST cassettes yeah I lost a record for big box really huge box really yeah I've got I've got several of these do Okay. Should I start battling? All right, big city, yeah. Kansas City, how you feeling? Welcome to Center Cuts. I'm your host, Patrick Spray, and our producer, Chris Mara, would be thrilled I actually introduced myself today. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. We have the pleasure of talking with Steve Tulipana today. How are you doing, Steve? I'm all right. We, we've had some discussions about how to pronounce your name. We, you guys missed all the etymology. <laughs> what was the original pronunciation? Tulipano. Tulipano. <laughs> That's lovely. Uh, we are thrilled to have you here today. Steve is the owner of Record Bar here in Kansas City. He is also a long lasting, living, breathing musician from numerous incarnations. We're going to talk to Steve a little bit today about his childhood, about his early life, a little bit about his career as a venue owner, as well as what are some things Kansas City seems to be doing right, and what are some things that we might be able to do to improve our music scene. We always start with a calendar, and of course, COVID time, this is a little unusual. Steve, anything going on in the next couple of weeks you want to talk about or think people need to know about? So, this will be post. This will come out after the, the fundraiser. So. It's okay, though. But yeah, it's like we, our time we got stamp. Shiner this weekend. We can't wait. That is huge. Uh, super excited. Um, they're, and they're, let's go back, though. They're playing Friday night for a Kickstarter for Record Bar's 15 year anniversary. Yep. And then Sunday, what's that? Was that a show that was. So, they they were supposed to play early in earlier this summer, and uh, we'd sold a bunch of tickets. And really, actually, it went right on sale right before the shutdown and we started selling tickets and then the shutdown happened and then nobody bought tickets nobody knew what was going to happen and uh so it didn't oversell like they would have sold that place out sure so but we had enough tickets that um we just wanted they were like we're going to be in town we want to do this fundraiser for you so let's go do uh can we do a second show who's and, not here in the band who's coming in uh all those guys live in kansas city Oh, from from Shiner? From Shiner? No, um, uh, Alan Epley lives in Chicago. That's and what I thought. Josh Newton lives in Los Angeles. Okay, so they were already going to come in for the other show, so they figured we might as well raise some money for Record Bar. Yep. That's awesome. Uh, Lemonade Park's got a lot of stuff going on. We yep. were thrilled last week to have a couple shows with Center Cut. Thank you so they much. Were, they were killer. Sold out, both of them. It was great. It's, it's a beautiful venue. Everybody, if you haven't been out there, Kadesh Flow and the Black Creatures on Friday uh, for the Black Creatures album release, and then the Black Creatures and Calvin Arsini on Saturday. You've got, I mean, I, I just look at this. I was telling Michelle Bacon on our last episode, I look back at my calendars from February and March, and like, you know, four or five a week, circle right. things. <laughs> now it's Lemonade just, Park. The ship's got some stuff going on. Uh, next weekend, you've got Steady P, right? Yep, it's yep, Steady P and uh, uh, the following night is the Abnorm and, D, and uh, Izzy, or uh, uh, Jay Izzy. Okay. I think the challenge for me is, you know, I just look at the in the calendar that the next night's Katie Gian. Yep. Also Women of Women. Yep. Now I'm, you're doing I'm something. Doing that, yeah. Do you sing everything? Do they have some uh, of the ladies sing as well? Uh, in that group, uh, 
we've only, this will only be our second show. The first time we performed, uh, it's basically all the women that I perform with in the band that filled the earth, the David Bowie tribute. Okay. Once a year we do that. And it's all the women that are in that project and, and just, and me. And then, um, so we had, uh, Don't you had a show at, the Vol- at Voltaire. Yeah. Like last summer, maybe. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we had Ke- uh, Camry, Avery, and uh, Havla Bruders. Oh, that's right. Backing vocals, and they, they kind of recreated stuff. They did the, the keyboard lines from some of the Bowie songs that cool. we done with vocally, and they did cool. kind of inventive stuff. Um, Camry's not available, so uh, Havla would just be Havla. We were going to have Betsy, but she, she's not available either. So we're, we're doing um, a couple of Katie songs we're doing that she's not going to do in her set later that night. We're doing a few Bowie songs, but we're also doing Tom Waits. We're doing an X song, mm-hmm. and we're doing a Neil Young song that I'm really excited to do, and nice. a Screaming Jay Hawkins tune. Interesting. So, Different than Men of Men's palette, probably. It's a little more blues and rock um, driven, whereas Men of Men gets more punk rock and then j- and jazz. It's yeah. Kind of, kind of the where we lean with that, and uh, or art rock. You I know? saw you at Record Bar once, and that was phenomenal. Uh, I guess to my point, though, I'm just trying to say, when I look at the calendar, uh-huh. it's like every weekend, I want to see both nights. Bell and the Vertigo Waves are on the 25th. Great yep. Marquis, Victor and Penny. You had Jake Wells earlier that week. Yeah, that's a uh, reschedule from the one we missed. Right, and, yeah. and we talked about it on the last program. I think he had that show right when things were shutting down. I do want to say the ship has started some venues, or started some events as well. Excited to see them back in action. It looks like they're doing, and it's, you know, it's great. You, you kind of got one-stop shopping. They're both right over there, out on their, uh, the deck, I believe they're yep. calling it. Yep. This weekend, you've got Irish Fest, which is going to be a virtual event. Uh, they just had a lovely uh, Facebook Live with Nick Carswell doing the Mixmaster Conference, which will lead into the Crossroads Music Fest the following weekend. Right. Looks like things are moving a bit in this last, what would you say, month or so? But a lot of it is going to be predicated on the weather, obviously. Yeah. yeah. Uh, just want to say Kansas Cityans are very grateful for you, Voltaire, West. Just blown away by what you're trying to offer. People, people look so happy while yeah. they're just sitting there. You know, even if they don't yeah. really care for the artist, they're just happy to be out. It, it's funny. People are like, oh, what's it, that haven't been are like, oh, is it going to? Is it weird to be just watch a show and sitting? And it's just like I'm like they can't grasp it. But then when they come there, then they're like. Like you said, people are just joyous about it, you know, and uh, you know it's not like it's not like you sitting in a corner with your, you know, like go to the corner, you sit, sit don't move, no, it's don't, safe. you know, people are, there, it's, there's there's freedom as, as long as you you know respect the people around you. That's Very what, free and safe, and I feel at least talking with the artists last weekend and then from the previous weekend, they're all thrilled as well as far as the safety and procedures.
us a little bit about yourself. I, I should uh, tell the audience too, just today, yesterday, there was a very well-written article, as always, by Tim Finn in Kansas City Magazine about Steve. A lot of it about his childhood, about his family, but also about his career. There was an, another very nice interview with Brian Truder from The Bridge. We were trying to figure that out, like, April? It was it was the 90s weekend. Could have been. Could have was been it May? Could have been June. Was it June already? Yeah, Beginning I, of June? I, it, I mean, time, and, <laughs> yeah. since COVID, time has like it stretched and compressed. Like Time it, is a flat circle. Yeah, You're so time right. is a flat circle. Beginning of the year was the one that I really dug into. I've probably listened to it three times now. Third Gear Scratch. And that was a podcast from Alan Epley from Life and Times. And Shiner. Shiner. Yeah. Okay, yeah, so... Yeah. I've had a little bit of research, uh-huh. and I don't want to make you got to be bored with me by now. Or, or, oh, no. Oh, no. I have a long list. I won't try to make you repeat yourself too much, but from what I understood, you moved around a bit before Liberty, right? That was like yeah. seventh grade? Where was You weren't like military family. Were you no, just moving around? No, I was, well, my my dad was in the military with my, my mom in Pitts, okay. Pittsburgh. And uh, so we did move a few times there. I was born in... She was from Pittsburgh, and that's where all her family still is. Because um, you talked about that compilation that you would listen to. She had some, like, record collections. Yeah, yeah, It was, yeah. like, some DJ in Pittsburgh. Yeah, the Mad Mike Moldies. Uh, uh-huh. And, uh, yeah, so she liked music. and and. Uh, so was he wanting to, like, the, the way I read it from Tim was, was he trying to expose you to, like, being a farmer or some, like, agrarian oh, ways? Oh, well. Or what was the deal? Not, I mean... I have three brothers and you know it was just four boys and and he had uh, f- three brothers and a sister mm-hmm. and his his dad my grandfather um, and I believe he I, I can never remember I get the story I've heard it different ways I thought he came over from Italy in from Sicily uh, when he was a baby but he may have been born here okay um, he, they had a huge family. That I mean, that like old no way. Catholic Italians, you know. Uh-huh, <laughs> and uh-huh. and, uh, and then anyway, but they were Kansas. They ended up in Kansas City, and that's where my 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 grandfather was for a while. And then he he jumped a train. His story's crazy. Like he jumped a train, ran away from home, ended up in Oklahoma. Some family took him in. Changed his last name to like Smith or something, and then, so, so so he could go to so he could finish high school. Okay, but then when he got done, he 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 came back, reconnected with his family, and, his, and he was here. And then met my grandma, and then he went down to Arkansas and helped build the Bullsholes Dam, and, and then cool. They, they started having kids, and they went back and forth a few times. And my grandma wanted to live in the city, and he wanted to live in in. In, in the rural area on the lake and he had a gas station down there and a fishing tackle place and mm. my grandma liked the city so apparently they went back and forth a few times and then they landed in Peculiar well my dad went to Vietnam after right after I was born he got he had shipped out to Vietnam I lived in Peculiar we'd also did some time in, in uh, Atlantic City too or no no whatever New Jersey just above Atlantic City New Jersey on the, on the, okay. on the coast after Pittsburgh there and then and a peculiar while he went to Vietnam then we lived in Raytown for a little bit this is about this is about 69 yeah yeah my dad also I think basically they got married she was pregnant a day later and then like three months after I was born he got stationed in Italy thinking he was gonna have like this cush job right. officer training school and then they 
yanked him to Vietnam. Exactly. Where yeah. was he? Do you know what, what city he was in? He basically was Navy, so River. Oh. He wasn't really stationed in one necessarily place. Yeah. Uh, and that'd be another conversation for another day. He doesn't really talk about it. So many yeah. times as I've asked him over the years, it's just... A lot of those guys that didn't want to talk about it. No. Okay, but and one other question too. So four, three, three brothers, where are you? What's your... I'm the oldest. Oh, is that right? Mm-hmm. Okay, good. That's good to know. Yeah, so my parents were... My mom was 21. I think my dad was 24 or something. That makes sense. Okay. Well, so then Liberty, uh, seventh grade or so, when you were talking about some of your musical influences there, and you said that music was always in the house, the the things that maybe your mom was listening to sounded, I don't know, kind of like Western swing or... No, no. It was like garage rock. I mean, the thing is, that's what she listened to when she was young. So she had 45s of like, you know, the... The, the single you talked the about the Beach Boys but a lot of really cool obscure stuff like surf rock and like the the uh, oh, you mentioned the Sonics Shondells and, and just the Love Sonics it. was like the known man on those those comps so she had a couple of these comps a lot of bands you never I just never you can't find anything from them and you go I go look and I'm like oh they put out a 7 inch where know? was she picking these up uh, in Pittsburgh, For, at, mm. at shops and at those at those dances, so you would go to the, that guy, that DJ's dances, and they buy records there, and they get them at the shops. I guess they bought them at the dances. I don't know. To be honest, I'm tucking out my ass there. <laughs> Where <laughs> did you, you get those, Mom? <laughs> I I consider you a record collector, although we haven't really discussed like the stuff that you have. Would you say that's coming from the seven inches liner, the singles liner on the house, or uh, p- possibly? Yeah, I guess. Um, yeah, you know, and I, I remember going. I remember getting, you know, everyone did the Columbia House thing, you know. Oh yeah. And we got the vinyl, the record club, mm-hmm. and I had to. When my mom, between my mom and I, we had to like. She wanted these records, and I wanted these records, so we had to kind of like. We all had to kind of got a little. I remember getting a little vote on who got to pick some records, and I. Split one of the penny. weird things that I won, I, I I won out on getting. I liked the I liked the Bee Gees. She liked the Beatles. We had always arguments about that. that. Was the argument back in the day? It was like, you know, like the Stones, Stones versus Beatles. Uh-huh. Our house, it was Bee Gees versus the Beatles. Like, what was the? As maybe a, that was, as a huge fan of both, yeah. I just think you probably got to tip the cap to the Beatles there. <laughs> well, uh, Brothers was, Give versus Fab Four. I, I don't was know. Ten years old, you know. <laughs> you toss in Andy. Yeah. Uh, okay, and then I know I read a little bit about uh, as far as just playing instruments too. It sounded like you're. Your dad had a guitar, but he wasn't playing it all the time. Uh, he didn't. He didn't have it. I actually think there was a little typo in that in that piece that I just. Um, but your uncle? he there are some photos of like him in high school with guitars, like in his yearbook, he's wearing a guitar, and he mm-hmm. and then. Um, uh, but he never had had one when that, that in the house until we were we were living in Chicago at that time. We lived in Chicago for about eight years, and he got he brought one home with a cool cool. Big old cool like wretch hollow body thing. I mean, I don't yeah. know exactly what it was in my mind. You know, I was in probably, oh gosh, I was probably only in third or third grade or something. Mm-hmm. And I remember like thinking it was so cool. He's like, you can't touch this, you can't touch this, you know. But we thought it was so cool. And he played it and he had it around the house for a week. And he he decided that it, it he just didn't. It was frivolous. Got you. And so he he sent it back, and he I think he just didn't. It didn't come natural like he like he'd used to play when he was mm-hmm. in high school, and he mm-hmm. and he just kind of like oh, oh the kids are gonna break this thing <laughs> probably. And then, but he did get us uh, little acoustic guitars that my brother, two of us, like these little cardboard acoustic guitars. Sweet. 
but I think that was for Christmas. And I think the following Easter, my uncle sat on it and, and I was done with that. And so I never took, I, you know, I, I think I read too, that it was high school or at least once you got into the Liberty school system where they had a pretty solid band yeah, program or yeah, symphony program yeah, yeah. and There's, you, you stumbled upon the tuba. Yeah. Just kind of, I can't picture you with that. Dude, it's crazy. So like, the, the the it was just the trumpet stuff was fierce. I mean, they were really good, and they had this. You had to go to all these extra out out of school extra rehearsals and mm-hmm. technique programs and things. And they were just like, and I'm just like, man, I, this is that's I don't. And they're like, well, we need a tuba player, and I'm like, do I have to buy it? And they're like, no, no, we got we have them. I'm <laughs> like, loaner. All right, count me in. I'll try it out. And I, you know, I don't like I said, I don't. I was adequate. What drew you to the band? That was not a required class. Was that an extracurricular after school? Or when I w- was in sixth grade, we were down in the da- we were in Plano, Texas, Dallas area, and I went from this you little move tiny Catholic school in outside of Chicago to this massive. To it was at that time it was the teenage suicide capital of America. Plano, Texas. Plano, Texas was. <laughs> that's where I ended up at this this school that was known as this like and I and it was just did massive. You know, sorry, did you know that in sixth grade there was like the suicide yeah. capital? Oh, yeah. geez, great. And uh, I was like, you know, because they had <laughs> to go to school today. You had to teach everybody about it, and you had to. And so I, I'm going to continue with that thread here when when we move again. But I uh, they you had to pick. Um, choir or band mm. and i was just like i don't i don't choir i don't guys don't dig choir yeah that's really what it was it was cool. just kind of like a which sad they do it's really but, but my brain wasn't at that spot i wish it had been because mm-hmm. i think i would have excelled more at that and done some in, in my, but maybe it would have ruined the weird, the weird voice that i do it's maybe mm-hmm. who knows it would have gone mm-hmm. another path but but so I, I, and here's the thing, the other thing, they're like, well, what instrument do you want to play? And I'm like, and because we seriously it was like, we moved there and I had to go to this, like immediately it was like straight to the school and they asked you all the stuff. And I'm like, oh, I don't know I want to play. I wanted to play the sax, but I didn't know. I didn't call. I just said, oh, t- trumpet. I don't know what it was. And so I, yeah, and so that, and then I, my parents were like, God, oh, we got to damn trumpet so we, uh-huh. <laughs> I got this old ratty used trumpet and I just you know it's just funny how you fall into things in life and you just kind of you kind of go with it until it, it doesn't work anymore and you, then you carried that to liberty right so that you'd already had that experience in Texas or I'll yeah. just do this to extracurricular activity or something yeah. like that yeah okay okay what got me in that interview and I'll, I'll stop referring back to that here was you talked about some of your early musical experiences like actually performing I, I want to say it's cornholio but it's not it was just like corn, corn dog, dog jamboree <laughs> corn dog the corn dog jamboree that's and that's dan jones from the dan jones in the school right so michelle bacon shared her uh first band's name chris last week what was that it was like mock rock 3000 or something uh, yeah. like that i mean i just it, we, like, sh- we should list these out for each show uh-huh. what was the first band you were ever in but yeah i mean again a lot of our guests are necessarily going to be artists or musicians but what I read was, when you talked about some of the sounds of that group, those were some pretty seminal names for me in like some early, I wouldn't call it punk rock, but alternative rock. You mentioned yeah, like the Minutemen. I mean, we, yeah, the Minutemen, yeah. We how were obsessed you, with the Minutemen. How are you exposed to that in Liberty? Because I, I was explaining on the first program with Jim that 
you know, there was no alternative music scene at that time. There was no separate section in a record store. Like, you, you'd get your cassettes at Kmart or something. That right. was like the highlight of my shopping or a venture, they were called back in those days. There was not like a Spin Magazine or, you know, well, how did you there was. find out Spin about Magazine that? was. It existed, and we were obsessed with it. We read it all the time. I mean, this was, this would be... That was like 80... 90, 80... This is... We're talking 84, probably. Okay. 84, 85. Steve and I are the same age, so let's figure out that. We would be like 16 then. Is that right? Something yeah, like that? Yeah. Okay. It was about 15 when we really... Like, Dan and I started... And he had an older, some older sisters that had, get you know, some entry points. And, and we like, you know, like... Bowie and Devo and... Sure. Arubu even. And then, oh, yeah. And then, like... Then there were some other older kids that... Uh, uh, this guy, I can remember his Kendall Craven. How did I remember his name? He was a pole. He was, cool. he was a pole vaulter, and he had a rat tail, and he nice. he had some Dead Kennedys cassette tapes, <laughs> nice. and he'd loan it loan it out to one guy, and then you'd be mm-hmm. on the phone listening to the mm-hmm. Nazi punks fuck off on the phone. I can't believe it. Listen to this shit. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You got, you got, you got to bring it over here. No, no, I got to give it back to him. And then, then we finally got it. Somebody got a, dubby, a tape dubber and we were just, you know, started yeah. making comp tapes. Well, and, that's how you learned. Yeah. Somebody else had it. Did you, did you go to public school? Were you still at a yeah, Catholic school public there? public school, yeah. I remember that summer of like 84, I got a job, my parents forced me to get a job at Wendy's and there was a kid from uh, Shawnee Mission East. I went to Rockhurst and he would bring in these 12 inch singles of bands like New Order, the Smiths. I mean, for me, those were just names. I remember I had like had a pair of pants and I just wrote band's names like Dead Kids. Yeah, yeah. I oh, hadn't yeah. actually even heard the bands. I just yeah, knew oh, they yeah. were cool. Oh yeah, yeah. And I wanted to be with those those cool kids. Yeah, we just we obsessed on everything. I mean, we finally. I remember uh, we you know there was a I don't know who wrote the stuff, but there was somebody at the Star at the time that wrote about uh, uh, the Fool Killer. Mm, which was a 39th of Maine. I never went Black, there. I got to see Black Flag there, Meat Puppets. Uh, Meat Puppets show was the first thing I saw. I think now, it was on the Up on the Sun tour. Were you uh, were those underage for a sh- Yeah, it was all ages. I'm just going to say, so that would have been like your senior year in high school maybe? Do you remember what that year was? Uh, I think the first time I went would have been probably junior year. Whenever okay. you turned. I was. I know I was had just turned 16. Okay. Know? But okay. I had to do a lot of like... Like I'm spending the night over at Dan's house. Oh sure, I'm doing. You know, I and then my folks kind of learned that we. Oh, he's going down to these shows downtown, and then I was like, well, you can only go once a month, you know. And so mm-hmm. I like have to look for flyers when I was down there and ravenously find any information that I could to yeah. pick which one I wanted to see. And I still to this day I was so mad. Like uh, Sonic, Sonic Youth was playing there, and we got the date wrong, and we went down, uh. and there was no show. Uh. Like, and I, I wasted my one time out that month or, or that to go down to the city and uh-huh. I didn't I, and we missed it and they were the next week but my buddies went and they they bought me a the uh, the uh, what record was that the oh uh, Death Valley 69 EP okay yeah. I didn't see them and we've talked about this show or Alan did on the Third Gear Scratch interview that infamous uh, fire hose Sonic You show at the outhouse in Lawrence, whether we attended or not. Dude, I think I went, and Dan's like, I don't think he went. But Dan and I had a Dan had a column. Dan Jones had a column in the Liberty High School paper, and I need to start posting these. I found them all, and I, I cut it. And we, uh, I was an editor, and he was he was a fabulous writer. But we, um, he would review 
he reviewed that show really and and take pictures and then we you know one time we were like do it uh and i think his column was called corn dog speaks i think but uh all the corn dog references <laughs> well Minutemen, they called themselves corn dogs we, they did yeah oh, there's a one that. song like we were fucking corn dogs you know oh like, yeah and, that's right uh, okay okay you know we were just i mean we we're just like basically just you know yeah just goofballs whatever you know but in this punk scene it, yeah i think that's how i always felt like the reference so that we just thought like what's the most not punk name for a oh. punk band a corn dog jamboree like it's just just goofy kids you know and then don't even know how to play guitars and we were just, you know we traded back and forth at first until we figured it out but yeah but uh uh yeah dan like at some point i was like uh saw they were doing shows some somebody in town i don't know if it was keith patterson i could have been him he or who I don't know who the promoter was. There was a handful of guys that I always looked up to, and it's weird over these years now. I kind of know some of these cats that mm-hmm. that um, through the club, but they were the older guys that that I always looked up to, and I kind of like you know had seen working at the record store when I came down, or they were yeah. promoting shows, and I always recognized their faces. Didn't know their names until years and years and years later. But but uh, I somebody was doing a show the the Strand over here, really, it's a couple blocks up, mm-hmm. uh, the porno show. Yeah, yeah. Not that I've ever been there. Out of the blue, it I didn't know it was porn shop. I just knew they were doing the, the Leaving Trains. Who they were on SST, mm. and uh, the Leaving Trains were going to play, and and so I called the vent. I called. I found the number of the strand. I called. I didn't know that some promoter had had rented it out and was you know doing this stuff. Mm-hmm. And I called the, the whoever the guy was that, that owned the strand or ran it. I was like, yeah, I'm in this high school. Guy, uh, you know, we have this. Liberty High School paper and we write a column on music and we're gonna we'd love to you know really I just wanted to get a comp ticket to the Heck show yeah. right of course and, uh, and he's like he's like he's like what high, high school and this is all ages show like oh, yeah yeah it's like and he's like he's like well let me take your number and I'll, I'll get back to you so he calls me back a couple of days and he says uh says oh yeah can you be here or can you get me here at this time we're gonna do a we're gonna do a press release we're gonna do our a PR Sweet. we're gonna do a PR thing so he got off with off the phone with me they called every other high school paper in town <laughs> and invited all these kids and we got there in the strand and, and it didn't they, they'd hidden all the, the the porno or whatever I don't know what the how, how uh-huh. it was like there wasn't no still didn't know until later that that's what it was and they had he had a deli tray out for all us kids and sodas and he was like yeah this is the venue you know he's kind of doing this whole PR thing about the venue and then we got to go backstage and the leaving trains weren't having it they're like fuck are these kids fucking idiots we're trying to be cool and they're all like smoking pot and getting hammered and we're like <laughs> oh, I mean, some things don't change. I imagine those kinds of things, not necessarily in a porno theater, still happening. I just, I sometimes think about the young people today, specifically, even 25-year-olds. It's just so different. Like, where did where'd you find your music? Like, where would you even, well, what were your record stores? Did uh, Liberty have a scene? Or did you come into Kansas City? No, we didn't City? have, I mean, Liberty didn't have a, I mean, it was tiny back then. We, the, everything that, if you drive up there now, then uh, all those shopping centers, mm-hmm. those, were, those were pastures mm-hmm. when I was a kid. That's what, like a 45-minute drive? No. I could, from here, I went to UMKC for a while, and my my, my buddy at the time, he, we had a big debate. I was like, it's 22 minutes. He's like, I can get from downtown Liberty to 
to the u- student union in 14 minutes. No <laughs> I'm way. Like, you're hauling ass, Chris. But, 22 but, minutes? Yeah, okay. I think you can do it. In, yeah, you can, I can get up to my mom's house from my place on the plaza to... She's right in downtown Liberty now. And, uh, okay, because when, I, when I read about it, it sounded like you guys were on the road almost already oh. in high school, like going to St. Louis, coming to the Kansas yeah, City and the definitely. big city. Yeah. But as far as, again, I go back to just musical sources, did like you just find the record stores or somebody else had a cassette? Um, there was some some saint <laughs> worked at the, at the Camelot at Metro oh, North yeah. Mall. Oh, yeah. And bought all the imports I had crazy stuff and the stuff would probably sit there and then they cut it out mm-hmm. and so I bought a bunch of cutouts a corner you know mm-hmm. I discovered and this is even before I got into like I knew like punk rock or black flag right. I found you know I was getting like Gary Newman and sure and just I buy anything that had swan I had my first swans record there mm. uh Bouton record there mm. um like, is that how you pronounce that? Mine says an Einstein Neubauten. That sounds new, great, new man. Way to go. I've never known how to pronounce that. Again, that was written on my pant leg. Yeah, 17. Is. I didn't know what the hell it said. I was like, that's yeah. cool. Yeah. Um, I've, but So I fell in love with that kind of weirder, arty rock. And then and then we like, Dan or his sister had a had spin right when it came out the gate. And so we mm-hmm. were, I mean, butthole surfers, like you name it. Like, yeah. Anything crazy. We were like. And then we were we were really into Iggy Pop and 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 any I mean Bowie and Iggy and and Lou Ray, Dan you can hear it in his music and we both just loved Lou Reed and all I, the weird Lou Reed records. And, I saw him like, let's see, eighty eight. The Feelies opened for him. It was that I, album was New York. Oh no, I didn't, I wasn't there in New 88, York. Eighty eight, eighty nine. I think the other big thing for me. Uh, oh, the New York record, or you saw him in New York? No, the New York record. Yeah, I saw yeah. that at. Uh, I think it was the feelies. It was the Midland. Yeah, and I'm so pissed. I got into an argument with my girlfriend in the parking lot, goddammit, and missed about everything except the last two songs of the feelies. I'm just a huge fan of theirs. I saw the full Lou Reed set. I think the other big influence for me was not just the development of MTV. Do you remember that program, 120 Minutes? It came on like on Sunday night, maybe 10 or 11 o'clock, when you're supposed to be doing your homework or whatever, and you were just completely exposed every week to... Like Screaming Blue Messiahs, or, right, you know, right, just yeah. bands yeah. with interesting yeah. names. Like I'm going to go buy that. I'm going to yeah. find, it. but you couldn't find it. Yeah, you couldn't find it in most places. So we, I mean, we had started, like I said, to discovered the Fool Killer. We were coming down here at 16, mm-hmm. and there, uh, there was. We always went to Penny Lane, which is oh, yeah. where Street Side was, of course. Um, and and they had the the pitch the real the original pitch the penny penny pitch, pitch. Thing. so you'd learn about stuff there Leroy and and those people would all be pretty pretty friendly um, uh, Dwight Frizzell from BCR I think God, I don't I know if he worked there or we just saw him there one time but then there was this, yeah he worked there there was other really cool place up on I think it's what's there now is like uh, it's probably where the West Sider is on Westport Road. Oh, mm. The Press Penny and West Sider. Um, or, or, you mean like uh, Records with Merit is? Across the, directly across the street, there's a okay. place called Rock Therapy. And this guy, Steve Duty and Duncan Burnett worked there. Yeah. And that, I mean, and they had, you walk in there and the music was so loud and, and they would ignore the shit out of you and you're like, and then you would just buy whatever looked cool or what, what, what are you playing? And you're like, oh, but I'll take one of those. <laughs> you know, like, I never... Again, Fool Killer was a name I always heard. I think I was supposed to go a couple of nights, and whatever, my parents wouldn't let me out. And then 
rock therapy too. Duncan works at um, Brothers Music yeah. over on Johnson Drive. They just moved. Yep. That's just a legendary story. You know, and really, I got exposed to those places probably from the guys from Sin City years yeah, later yeah, when yeah. I was in college. Like, uh-huh. oh, dude, you need to go check this place out. That right, was just right. out of my Johnson County Catholic yeah. schoolboy scene. Let's, hey, let's, uh, as I mentioned before, I, I think your story has been told and recounted numerous times as far as like the season to risk progression. Uh-huh. Although the, the flood always gets me because it sounds like you were really making things happen yeah that was I, a brutal that was brutal i've always wanted to ask you too like the original inspiration for record bar i think you explained it to jim and me when we first met was it was like a place where you could come and have a particular record played during your meal or something uh, like we, that we thought i'm making that up and this isn't this is an idea that we may still do someday and um you know there's a lot of places that, i mean in voltaire you go and they got you can ask them they got a whole record shelf you can they pull it mm-hmm. but the idea was yeah a, a room maybe more like minibar size and uh you would it was just the whole wall of your records and yeah and you would just you know come in and, and you would the, the idea is you could just check a record out even like a library was kind yeah of the idea that's um you know but then it just it's just not what happened it know? would be it w- the concept was that records would be played for the whole room or for like your individual table uh the idea was just be for the whole room which probably probably one of the reasons we decided not to do it i got you yeah. because that is common in japan actually uh in a, in a number of different ways first of all you can like check out cds like a library uh-huh. but what they'll do is they'll have these you know high-end listening rooms inside of bars oh, nice. just kind of separation of course they're not cheap bottle service all that stuff but it's it's the thing i mean it's 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 super popular over there and when we started talking about the label that was always sort of my dream it's just like the music center and one component would be you know you you sit down and listen to the record from start to finish you want and we'll feed you and whatever what what led you from going from a performing career to consider owning a venue that's what i was really trying to get to um i mean really uh and I always credit my, my my father for it. Just kind of uh, him always just you know coaching me to have a backup plan because the music mm-hmm. you know I I mean I made a living as a musician musician for about I mean I didn't make a lot of money but I didn't twenty work, years I didn't work a job for uh, well the first two records were on a, a major label and we did a couple kind of big deals that that um, we never had to pay back and they worked out for us and. And that's how we bought that recording studio. Right. Like the money was starting once we got dropped, and the money started dwindling a little more. And we were like, "We need to invest this money." So we started the studio, and that really was that was going to be the the, the professional career we were all going to you know lean towards. What year and was that? Like ninety six. I think is when okay. I started building it. And I think it was ninety seven. It was right when the Men Are Monkeys record really had just been finished when I, that happened, and then I left. That was our first indie record. Yeah. Exactly. After the two, it was Sony was the second, but what was the imprint? The, f- the first two, the first two were Sony Columbia, but they were there was a there was a label out of Minneapolis called Red Decibel. Okay, Red they Decibel discovered us and okay. signed us. They signed us while they were working this developmental deal with Columbia, and basically Columbia had to had to release um, two or four. I can't remember what it was. They part of his deal. He had. I mean, he had a, a good little. Like alternative metal roster, really, and, mm-hmm. then, and but he ended up picking up like house large sizes, and I introduced him to Share UK, and Share UK put records out on that label sure. as well. Sure, sure. Um, and uh, 
they did a, but Sony from there they did Glaze Baby which um, and some other it's like third time Glaze Baby came out today it's wild hmm. um, but uh, yeah that Sony had to pick had to release two I think two a year two artists of theirs two of their releases to oh I got you up the chain to the massive distribution I understand okay and they picked us and we put the first one out um, it's like 91 I think it didn't just a self-titled one. It finally one? came out till '93. Because that's what I left. I joined the Peace Corps. I left in '93, and I think that's when you are really just kind of hitting your stride. And I knew the the Paw Brothers pretty well because uh-huh. I worked at the Free State in Lawrence. Grant and Pete. I didn't know Mark. Just talking to Grant. Yeah, a Mark came in and sat at the bar quite a bit. Uh, and so I heard about you all the time, but I didn't come back to Kansas City until 2005. But I did hear about that that flood. Mm-hmm. So basically, the some of the extra money from that used as the seed money to start the recording studio. Yeah. Plus, you guys were living there, right? Or some of you were living some there. Some of us were living upstairs. My little brother was living up there, and a couple, uh, Josh Newton was living there. Um, was that the impetus then after that happened? Like, now I better be thinking about a backup plan? Um, well, or not I, quite yet. I was working, we weren't touring, we still toured every year, but not to the degree because we, we didn't have tour support. And we Okay. And we used all the money for the studio, so we weren't. We all had to get jobs, and I was working at the, the Hurricane. Um, started out as a doorman, and the started point. as a doorman there when I was like, off tour, like I just pick up shifts, and then I was, mm-hmm. and then, then I started Sean and Cheryl, and I started DJing there, and we started doing really well with DJs, and then I kind of wormed my way into bar backing, and then I became a bartender, and, and did that. I was worked for her, the Hurricane for, I think it was like. 13 years the blur the last the last four years was like steady it was my gig you know yeah I hadn't been there in probably 20 plus years until I saw the Bonton Soul accordion band about Uh a year and a half ago Uh, and I'm telling you it smelled exactly (laughs) it smelled back in whatever 93 94 um so you started record bar 15 years ago yeah so deal to, to, to really roundabout way answer the question, I just kept thinking, you know, my dad's, what are you going to do? And I'm like, someday I'm going to have my own club. I'm going to have my own little bar, you know. And mm-hmm. Sean and I would talk about it. We lived together for a long time. And then he he was in Shiner, but then when he stopped being in Shiner, he went on tour with us a couple times, you know. God, you guys uh, cross-pollinate. I heard about the Shiner farm team. It oh, sounded yeah. like you yeah. all were uh, poaching or just... Yeah. And I can't believe there were a lot of drummers, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like Spinal Tap. It was except they weren't dying. We worked them hard, man. <laughs> but uh, it's it's aggressive, hard stuff, you know. It takes a, a special temperament to, you know. Well, and I'm going to suggest that it takes a special temperament type of person to actually start that bar or club because I think of countless artists, musicians, like, oh yeah, you know, I'm just going to do it. Whereas you and Sean, you actually did it. Yeah, we we. I mean. We were always kind of looking around Kansas City for something, but mm-hmm. we never, nothing ever, other, nothing ever, we couldn't find it. We really wanted to be, we knew that Kansas City was changing and downtown was going to, was, it was looking like, you know, downtown Kansas City's mm-hmm. going to happen. Like they're doing mm-hmm. all this stuff. And we, but we just started too late, you know. Um, I loved the space in Westport. Uh, yeah, it was cool. When, and that just the Malloy brothers had heard and they were just like, we went out. We need to be out by July. You need to buy it by July. And here's our offer. And you know, and I was like, "Can we make this happen?" And we were in Chicago. We were we had just started Roman numerals, and we were recording in Chicago. And mm-hmm. Roman numerals had signed a deal that was that said we had to tour uh, ninety days, at least ninety days 
that year, it, and we had the, all the shows had to be at least something like 200 miles outside of Kansas City. So any show in that didn't count is like your tour obligations. So we we're, we're, we went to New York twice. We went to LA and we and Seattle. We and we were opening at a club at the same time. That's awesome. We're absolutely insane That's awesome. people. That space, I think what was so charming is not the right word, but it was almost like, and I probably shouldn't say this, almost like tailgating and the fact that, you know, that parking lot oh, just yeah. made it very conducive to take your time as far as rolling on in and, yeah. you know, maybe getting yourself primed up to enjoy it. I always loved yeah. the, the, it, the, the it, sight lines. You, it, I mean, you were just right on top of the stage. I clearly remember... God, I saw so many good shows there, Steve. Uh, I'll say something that I had never even thought of until you just said that, like considering that parking lot tailgating, because we missed the parking lot. We know that customers really like missed having that, and we don't have it downtown. But, but probably totally illegal, though, causing you problems. That's what I'm saying. We never really had, I mean, never had too too many problems that I can think of. But, mm -hmm. but now that I think about, like, people probably bought less booze. Mm. Oh, I did. Which Sorry. is the only thing that kept us open, you know? Like, <laughs> it was probably why it was such a struggle because everybody's like, how, how's our average ticket price only $10? Like, yeah. oh, everybody got hammered in the parking lot. We were throwing kegers out of the <laughs> like, back of our station like, wagon. I just, I'm like, oh. So maybe being downtown with no parking lots is, is that's why we've, it's gone so good we until grills. this COVID thing. I think the one of the first shows I saw there, this would have, oh, God, we moved back here in 2005. Jonathan Richmond was in the parking lot. And my wife is Korean, but she, I unfortunately just crushed her with all different styles of music. She loves that guy. I mean, oh, don't get me wrong. I love amazing. him too. He's amazing. And so she's like, I think that's Jonathan Richmond. I'm like, I think you're right. It is. Next thing you know, we're having a, a fantastic meal. And I guess he was just doing a sound check and he comes out and we were just so starstruck. And I've never yeah. been like that before. Yeah, I'll yeah. go talk to anybody. And we didn't say anything. And for the rest of the night, we're like, oh my God, how do we let this happen? So three years later, he came back because he's always insisting on what? No air conditioning in there? He's such well, a quirky dude. Yeah. I mean, it, yeah, he likes the tour when it's hot too. And he doesn't like air conditioning. <laughs> he doesn't like any televisions, which I don't blame him. We tried, you know, we, we opened the new club. We mm -hmm. tried to situate the televisions and the things in ways that. Wouldn't bother Jonathan Richmond. Well, just just we don't have them on, you know. We but we use them. We use them differently than a lot of clubs. Just have TV on, to, and there's Judge Judy. That drives me fucking bananas. I'm Understood. Gonna, I remember being on tour, like, uh, and she, you know, sports is the worst, uh, you know. But I mean, no offense to people who like sports. I mean, yeah. but having sports on a, a rock club when you're trying to, people are cheering at the wrong times, and like, I remember when the, the Royals had the run for this. I mean, we. We were into it, you know. We're gonna do it. Mm -hmm. We were having to push shows back and back and back till the games were going on forever. That Extra first, innings. that yeah, <laughs> that first playoff run, you know. And man, it and, and it was like three years in a row. It just just decimated our yeah. business. I was respected the owner of the Free State in Lawrence. Free State Brewery never had a TV. Yeah. Uh, well, so you were in that space for ten years. It sounded like that. I shouldn't be talking trash on the Royals. They donated a lot of really cool stuff. Thank you, Casey Royals. Oh yeah. Thank you for the championship. <laughs> we want you. We want you to keep getting get back there. You're well, you, had the, you had the best deal in town for the Chiefs parade uh, this past year, and I'm still regretful I did not attend that. I mean, to pay what ten bucks? Was that right, Chris? Ten dollars? I think it was ten bucks. To that have a right. warm place and a place yeah. to use the bathroom. Oh, plus, yeah. it was. Well, that was like we were going in this. The first quarter of this year was the best first quarter we've ever had in, in you know, for, uh, 14 mm. years. And we were like, wow, this. 
every summer we always have to like dig into our savings to kind of get through the summer. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're like, this might be the first summer we won't have to dig into, you know, really have to go uh, do a cash call. Really? And because uh, because usually it's just that brutal winter and then it gets really nice in spring, South by Southwest tour time. And then then when it gets, you know, then everybody goes outside for a while. Right. In July usually just it's right. it just sucks. And everybody's doing tours are all going festivals and stuff. Mm-hmm. So, but we're like, okay, I think this year we might. Yeah, you know, we're going to be all right. I was surprised too coming out to a few Thank, shows. Thanks to the Chiefs for that. You know, that was great. Oh, every, the, in January just it was so cold a few nights, but people were still people were still filling the club. I go back though to the the, the end of the run in Westport though. That was a relative surprise, right? Basically, they just told you like that July or something. You got to well, go. It's. <laughs> So we had uh, we had multiple lease terms, mm-hmm. and the final one, the be, be going into the third term, we actually were trying to get out. We found a building because you said the like the plumbing was awful. Trying to interrupt electricity. Oh you you sunk a bunch of money into it. So much money, like uh, air, we put AC every summer. It was it's. 10 to 20 grand in AC. Jeez. Plumbing was just, it was just thousands of dollars, thousands of dollars, thousands of dollars constantly. Uh-huh. We've almost replaced every bit of old stainless mm-hmm. or uh, cast iron in that building. And, mm-hmm. uh, and we're, you know, we're always, as you know, everybody want to get into a club, they better be prepared to, to not be afraid of shoveling shit, you know? <laughs> like it's just literally, <laughs> literally, I'm serious. Uh, but, uh, so kind of a blessing in disguise. I guess yeah, I'm trying was trying to get time. to. It was we, were, time. We, we were trying to buy this building. The, uh, the guys that owned Velvet Dog had the build, uh, the Empire Room. Mm, they were okay. going to sell us that building, and we were looking at the size, and we were gonna, and we were like, we were probably gonna have to do some changes. Like it was gonna be maybe a little smaller, but we we were we were, we were gonna have to be 21 only, and mm-hmm. we, we were we were on the edge, and we were thinking about it, and then we got we talked to this consultant friend, and he's like, well, and he. We walked through. We were trying to plan how things we could expand and all this stuff. And and uh, we him and hawed a little too long and decided finally we're like we're going to do it. And mm-hmm. we it, it just makes sense. We have to own the building. We're mm-hmm. throwing we're throwing good money after bad constantly. Right. And we sent that letter to the to the landlord. He's like he's like you missed your you missed your cutoff point by a week. You got, you're into the, into the final term. He's like, I'll let you out, but you got to pay it. You got to pay it off. And I was like, Ugh. what? Ugh. The guy was an asshole. I will, I will put it on record. Okay. That landlord. Don't cut that, asshole. Chris. Um, and I don't say that very often. I don't like to be mean to people. Mm-hmm. I got along with him fine, but. but yeah. Well, yeah. you just said that your current space, you've had more favors done. It's been oh, yes. much more beneficial. Amazing I mean, I, favors. I love my favorite place to post up is on the side kind of by the water jug. I've spent too many years, I think not wearing earplugs. I love that view. I love the upstairs. I think the sound in there is killer. Uh, One thing Chris and I talked about on a previous program is just, I don't know of another venue in Kansas city, Steve, that has the type of diversity of artists. And, And I, that goes whether they're national artists, whether they're Kansas city artists, it's just all over the place. And I was talking with my business partner Jim today too about when we went, we're the same age, right? You yeah. know, I was it was like the glory years there in that Westport area. You had Grand Emporium, you had Harlings, you had Riot Room, you had Davies, you had uh, the Harris House, you had 
whatever that America's Pub place was. Oh, the Shadow. Shadow. The I mean, Shadow and like six or seven Shadow joints. and Lone Star were. Oh, Lone Star. So we would just go from the Lone Star to the Shadow to the the Hurricane. Like, oh yeah, just make the the circuit. And, you know, I mean, that's that was United Entertainment, and they they owned all three of those, and they also owned, oh, is that right? And they owned the the Guitars and Cadillacs. Oh, they owned the uh, and the original that's one was sad. back there behind. They tore it down recently. Where the that dance club was for a long mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, that's uh, David Kitty, Dave McQuitty, who recently passed away, Jack Hanrahan, and. Um, his his ex-wife Nancy Nancy really wasn't around a lot but Jack and Dave were around a lot and my wife Cheryl worked for for Dave up at his United okay. Entertainment upstairs okay and uh, uh, they were they were really good to us I just feel like record bar is a combination coming back to Kansas City of all those different sort of scenes yeah. that used to be contained about six or seven different clubs right right so 15 years and obviously, and we should talk about we're, this too. We're going into the fifteenth year. So. This is the fifth, but it's pretty soon, right? Like so this fall, we bought we bought Record Bar uh, Molly Malloy Brothers August of two thousand five. Okay, so this will be two thousand twenty. It's it's not. Is it the fifth? It's not yeah. really. So two thousand six would be the first zero. anniversary. So fifteen years. It will be. No, it's just yes. turned fifteen years. Yeah. Let's figure it out and cut it later. Okay, so <laughs> yeah. let's. So I don't. Know. I was like, I, I've been calling it that, but then I'm like, wait, is it really only 14 years in business? But it becomes the fifth. It's the 15th year. It's the beginning <laughs> of the 15th year. The anniversary really isn't until the you've completed the year. Got you. So let's hope that we can complete the year. That's what this is for. <laughs> producer Chris Mowry with our guest Steve Tulipana. We've talked a little bit today about Steve's life growing up, Steve's life as a venue owner, and we're going to talk a little bit about the current situation for venues across America, as well as what are some good things about Kansas City and what's something maybe we can work on here to improve the music industry. Welcome back, Steve. Hi. It's a big day for you in two days. It's the 15-year anniversary Kickstarter campaign at Lemonade Park to benefit Record Bar. Yep. Talk to us a little bit about how COVID, pandemic, economies impacting venues across the country. I mean, it's just decimated them. So many have already just given up. And uh, I mean, even with even with any, we got we got PPP loans. Um, None of that was that wasn't designed for our industry. Our industry already doesn't it doesn't work like other industries. You know, we we are we we work when there is work to do, and then we we 
take a day off when there's no show or there's nothing. So it's like mm-hmm. there's just in, in, you know, you can you can work 40 hours in three days if, if you, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. because of the nature of load ins and, and uh, how late events go and et cetera, et cetera. So it's not it's not that we're not working. So I like to try to explain to people. It's not like. Like we got this easy job. Like we work, we work a lot. Sometimes we work sixty hours and eight, seventy, eighty hours a week, depending if the events mm-hmm. are there. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, but when they're not there, the problem is, the tours can't happen. You can't get in a van or a, a bus and and know that this from city to city things are different. If you're if you get sick on the road, mm-hmm. you know. So ba- bands have just had to to to, you know, even if. Yeah, I don't know what I'm trying to say. As, it, as a venue owner, too, I remember at the beginning, there were all sorts of restrictions, like you're going to have right. to like 10% capacity. And it's like, oh, yeah. I can't take this money because I'm not even going to break even. Right. It, yeah. it just wasn't very advantageous for you. What are some things the community can do to try to support our venues, which in so, turn support staff at the venues, which in turn obviously support the artists, touring, I mean, all engineers, all sorts of things. Right. Um, I mean... Right now, we're we're a member of the of NIVA, which is National Independent Venues Association. N I V A. What's yes. that website for uh, our listeners? It's like N I V A Org. Is that what that is? I didn't look that up. I'm not okay. sure. I just I go to their save their stages. Save I our do stages. save our stages. I do too. There's a way to find it. Okay. Hashtag save our stages and um, uh, you know, and there is there's some uh a bill that's been spons- sponsored and got to. The floor, I think, or right before, or I don't think he got the floor yet. Like so, it's they went to, they went on the break right when we got the coast. Right. It got sponsored, and then it didn't. It so right. We're all again waiting longer to see if anything's going to come of it. It may not go anywhere, but but it really is a, a, a stimulus package for independent um, venues. And I think what was fascinating for me was since you are by definition independent venues. It's almost like independent record labels. There is yeah. no support network for you. Yeah. So when this happened, I'm sure over the years you've made connections with other venue owners. Oh, yeah. You've, I know you've mentioned some like 7th Street. Oh, yeah. And there, there's some friendships and some relationships. And you know the guys, the bands are touring through certain cities and they've got their routes. But you you don't have like a union. You don't have some sort of right. lobbying power in, in in the government. So the fact that that could get put together so quickly is impressive. But I imagine it's got to be frustrating that you all got your act together and they just keep yeah, telling you to hold off. Well, a lot of people just don't realize how connected it is. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it's not just the business. I mean, it, it's the, the, I mean, the sound, like you said, the sound yeah. guys, the bartenders, the, the door, the door staff, the, but, but it's, that money is the touring the crew. Insurance companies make a shitload of money yeah. off of us like they should have us in their corner well think about they're think not paying out either because they, they've figured out bacteria claws or whatever the right. hell it is and so well, like think the, about like ASCAP BMI too oh yeah they're losing out on those sync licenses yeah. you can't yeah I mean well, the, all that stuff's just no we're just not paying it you know and I mean and they keep saying well you're going to get a discount and you're going to get a we're going to prorate this and that but nobody's done it yet because they're all waiting for their handouts too and meanwhile it's, you've got rent it's or mortgages the, you told me your utilities the other day when i stopped by record bar yeah it's, what that number was it's, it's crazy it's, it's not low so with everything turned off everything that we can turn off is turned off and we're still paying thousand dollars a month so if you go to n-i-v-a-s-s-o-c.org basically so it takes seriously everybody about 30 seconds to fill it out and i've gotten response from 
um, Emmanuel Cleaver, also from Candor, and that is one way you can help. Yeah, anybody can go do that, and just the fact that if you love live music or, or even it's not it's the support the arts it's also for yeah all the arts theater yeah. comedy and put a lot of people back to work as well yes uh let's let's talk also specifically about the event this coming saturday and again you're all going to miss this because this is going to come out two or three weeks later but you can still support record bar do you want to talk Correct. a little bit about that so we're launching this kickstarter campaign it's uh kickstarter started a new program called um uh I think it's called Lights On. I'd have to look mm-hmm, at it. Mm-hmm. And it, it was designed to help I mean, uh, businesses uh, stay afloat because Kickstarter has pretty specific rules about what you can sell and how you do it. And, and um, they started this new program. Um, and uh, the uh, Meredith Graves there helped kind of coach me through the way the best things we can do, the best practices to to help us so but we're creating we're actually creating things you, you basically pre-buy it's kind of like a pre-order of t- 15, 15 year anniversary items mm-hmm. um, plus we're selling some future tickets we're selling golden tickets which they'll get you into a sold out show you know um, you mean so like when there's a future performance if it's sold out and, and I you got have a golden one of those ticket golden tickets yeah I don't have to pay off your doorman to get in yeah, yeah. okay that's exactly. great okay wait that happens and then um, <laughs> And yeah. then they're going to be there's going to be an auction, right? And then and then uh, we've had a ton of of Kansas City support lo- uh, local businesses donate tons of really cool items like and, and gift certificates and and um, they that'll be at um, three two auction three two auctions. Three two auctions. dot com forward slash record bar. Okay, and that that'll be live all month too. So that's until the end of September, correct? Yeah, we didn't get the date. October fourth. October fourth. And both Kickstarter and that. So the Kickstarter is kind of like your your. uh, And oh, we're we're selling off a bunch of our memorabilia, signed posters, Mm. signed records. We're creating. Fifteen years of Todd Zimmer photography. Todd says um, it looks awesome. Uh, calendar. Mm-hmm. So like, I picked. I went through his whole. It took days. Went through all the photos he took and and picked uh, a photo from like every year, roughly every year. To yeah. Make a calendar. That's just one calendar you're auctioning. No, no. It. We're. This, you can is, buy one? this is on the Kickstarter. Oh, okay. Uh, uh, Oh, that's so awesome. there's like those are things that we're producing or we we own mm. that we can we're selling whereas the auction is is donated understood items and and it's kind of to me it's we call it we're calling it our community auction because it's like everybody's pitching in together to help each other great and i'm you know I'm, and, and we that's something we've always been dear to us to, to open the, the the club to fundraisers and and uh countless steve and uh, you know events so and we in uh, any I'm sure as soon as we get through this, a lot of people are going to be needing fundraisers, and we're the room. You know, any we're all in it together. I, I every I mean, obviously, Midwest Music Foundation has been, been all yeah. there at the time. Yeah. I think about the band that fell to earth specifically every year. You have a cause. Michelle chooses something, but it, it, it's so much more than that. It seems like it's almost every other show. Sometimes, right. certain times of the year. Everybody, if you if you've never been in record bar before, it needs to stay alive. Uh, Steve, you've, you've done so many good things for so many people there.
up a conversation with a lonely waitress. Two sugars on my toast, yeah, it's that kind of morning. Not much to do or say, individuals go their own way. People change like seasons change, yeah, it's that kind of story. We were more than smoke and mirrors. Oh, I've touched you myself with these two hands. I can feel my heart beat loudly. Oh, I miss you myself with my wee heart. Now you see me, now you don't. I want to talk a little bit about Kansas City. Any particular thing you feel is a, a beautiful point of our city, well, organization? I, it doesn't have to be music related. I think, I mean, I think right in there what we're talking about, we we always come together. I mean, MMF is just astounding what they, they do for the musicians mm-hmm. and all the hard work they put in. Mm-hmm. And it's the Midwest Music Foundation, if, if you're not familiar with it. And it it's, it's primary... Um, uh, its primary objective is to to give uh, musicians in need uh, healthcare little micro micro mm-hmm. um, grants for healthcare needs and and um, it, it's helped a ton of people like hey yeah I broke my arm I can't wait tables this week uh, can I, and you prove that you're also in a band and it, but really they 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 help people that are just in the like, exactly like if you just work at a club or or around it they help people get um. Uh, oh, gosh. I got shitted for earplugs yeah, earplug. at the Mixmaster Fest last year, and I haven't worn them enough. Yeah, I think just through this fundraising cycle since COVID, I think they've raised over eighty thousand dollars. They've given away eighty. Oh, sorry, given away yeah. eighty thousand dollars. My first real, true understanding of what they do was South by Southwest two. What should have been two South bys ago, when I saw that crew, you know, Rhonda Lynn. Yeah. Sandra Freeman, Chad Mize, Canyon, they're they're there at like six o'clock in the morning setting up on day six. That's the secondary thing is to, the secondary mission is to to promote Kansas City music culture outside of Kansas City. Yeah. And South by is the big, big one. I I say, I always say we, I've been, you know, doing stuff with them since the beginning. And and you were there with Slights that year I went. Not this last spring. Yeah, yeah that was, we did that, it, was yeah. Just, that was that was 2019. Yeah, 2019. Yeah, I tried to do all of them, but I, I skipped a few couple of years when I got too busy. But, but, uh, uh, yeah, I love it. We started that event. Really, kind of started pretty. It's just kind of weird how it started. I, I yeah. can't talk about it. It was, but I kind of I I connected some dots between a couple of groups that were doing mm-hmm. some things, and and uh, and and then brought them in, and it just they just. They ran with it. And right. We had to call it the Midwasteland Takeover the first year. <laughs> it was way more of a party, and and then they kind of like we kind of got rid of some of the 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 part of the people that were involved with that. Understood. We just didn't. We our mission wasn't the same. And, oh, it's 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 a beautiful thing, and I don't know that every larger city has that, and we should be very grateful. If I were to ask you one thing, Kansas City needs in the music community, and I'd even say pre-COVID too, or something that we could improve upon, some area of weakness, problem. Is there something that stands I mean, out to you? Because sometimes I think we're just too darn nice in this town. Well, I mean, you know, and I don't we, agree we, with that. Like, I, I, people argue with me on that, but I don't. <laughs> I mean, no, you no, I don't. I don't. Know, I don't. What I mean is, I don't think we're too nice. I think that's. I love it. I think that's one of the greatest things about living here, mm-hmm. by and large. But you know, 
How about specifically like to build our industry? And I think that we've talked about this on other programs. We're not looking to be Austin, and we don't want to, right. you know, think of ourselves like that way. But to allow artists to be able to stay here, to allow artists to be able to sustain a career here, to make a living, and many do. It could be anything from, you know, other venues to play, for example, or, you know, other opportunities, recording opportunities. Well, there's, I mean, we got a lot of great recording studios and engineers and we got a lot of a lot of great venues. Um, what we don't have is we don't we need a and I know there's some people working on it and we'll, we'll be curious to see you know I've hear rumors about things here and there but we don't have anything between record from record bar we jump right up to Truman size wise there needs to be one in between there like, mm-hmm. like a, a room that was and I just I just wish I wish I could have like the, the building to the to the north of us a section of it that we could we could close off for smaller shows and open for big like mm. you know six or seven hundred capacity because mm-hmm. you know? like 700 in the in the Truman is I mean they they, they they can do it but it's it's kind of it's kind of light for them you yeah know? they're what like a thousand twelve hundred I think I think they're 13 is what I was told I could be wrong on that it's so 12. so maybe 700 like we we were discussing that today with another artist at at lunch, just the fact that bigger size venues, I'm not talking about like the Uptown or the Midland, I don't know if they're enough. Now, then the question is, is there enough traffic? Are there enough artists, national artists coming through here that right. are looking for a space well, like that? And you would know that. Thing. I mean, that's the hard thing. And I think that's what the Truman, you know, has to struggle with that, that, the making, you know, I, I don't, mm-hmm. I don't know much about their business. So I'm kind of talking out my ass, but, 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 the the calendar you know it's they got to fill it with other things and other events and stuff right and that's you know we found the old record bar we were open seven days a week you know mm-hmm. every day from noon to to one thirty and um downtown we were trying to do that and we realized it wasn't we were too we were too soon down there mm-hmm. and it the, i i still i still would love to have more of a restaurant concept that was in conjunction with it, but I think it, I think it really to be really successful. I think it needs to be in a different venue. Too. Got you because it, it affects sound checks. It affects. It's just not that we're way more of a venue, and mm-hmm. so we dialed. We, we we saw our expenses. We dialed it back to just shows, and I try not to book anything that can't draw at least a hundred people. You know, Got which you. is you know that's a, a little over or a little less than a third of the room, mm-hmm. but. Uh, we can make it work yeah but the expenses that's kind of anything less than that we can't cover the labor we can't cover the utilities or the you know it's like right it's like it's to have those some dark nights it really worked for the new record bar space so mm-hmm. so i do understand if we had to i can't i mean i can't say i understand but i could imagine at seven or eight hundred it might be even harder you know got you to, to so. Two questions to follow on that, and then we're going to wrap this puppy up. Do you feel like national acts don't make it through Kansas City? I'm not talking about Lady Gaga. I'm talking about, like, you were just talking about the Meat Puppets, you know, like just like right. alternative bands. Do you feel like they're skipping us? Are they going to St. Louis or Denver and not us? I think they're, I think, I think what skips us is like really, like the really cool under, underground bands right now. Like, mm-hmm. we don't. Like that aren't you know that draw like a hundred people or hundred fifty people like mm-hmm. I'm not seeing those as much as maybe when we had the old record bar but mm-hmm. even then like I mean 
But then there's also like, I don't know, I, I, I think I've seen it, I don't feel as slighted as I used to feel, I should mm-hmm. say. You know, and I, back in the day, before we even opened Record Bar, I mean, you, you wanted to see something, uh, I mean, that you had to go to Lawrence. We were always going driving oh, yeah. to Lawrence. I, once every couple of weeks, go to a show to Lawrence, and then when we opened Record Bar, we started getting, and, and thanks to up to 11 and Mammoth, the both mm-hmm. Lawrence-based promoters, mm-hmm. seeing that Kansas City had, a, had enough of, uh, Kansas City had grown, had grown up a little, and had more of a, a uh, a uh, what's the word I'm looking for? A fan base for for mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. for those acts that they were putting out in Lawrence, and they were like doing the math, like, like actually they work really well in Kansas City. Sometimes there's like this is a Lawrence band, well, that's Kansas City band, you know? Like yeah, we always have the discussions. Like, yeah, yeah my man. thing was always like hit the show at the Bottleneck in Lawrence, and then follow them to Kansas City at the Grand Emporium the next night. Back in the day, the the other question I want to ask too is again talking to another artist today. I don't know of any venues, seriously, south of like 75th Street. Yeah. I cannot think of any place yeah. we, on the Missouri side, and I yeah. can't think of any place in Kansas to go see live music, yeah. really. Before the Roxy? We moved, yeah. The Roxy's, I don't, I mean, that's in Kansas. That, yeah. The Roxy and the, uh, what's the other place? I think it they built Kanza Hall out there, out south. I I heard great things about it. Oh, but, close. But where do all those people go for music? I just wonder. You're talking about huge numbers of people. Like they drive, they drive into the city. They come in the city, yeah, for all the events. <clears throat> and so that just, I guess, is begging the question for me now: Is Kansas City really receptive to live music? Right. Uh, we sell out way more shows than we ever have. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Didn't used to be like that. And, yeah, uh, and, and that place was so much smaller. We, but, but uh, do you think that's because more people are moving into the city? It's become more desirable to be downtown specifically. Easier. Yeah, and it's because yeah. I just and, and they're just getting used to like that. They don't. People are getting less. I mean, I think Ubers have and ta- I mean, taxis were always really hard in Kansas mm-hmm. City, and mm-hmm. now now with the uh, with ride shares, it's I think people have opened up their possibilities a little more because they can go into the city and have some drinks and yeah. you know they put that in their budget sure. I spent an good. extra 20 bucks to get a ride sure I just sometimes wonder is that a, like a music desert island out there or is it just people just don't really like no, music there's, there's, there's the all, suburbs there's places you just don't that mean places like not cover bands though well, no that's offense. What I was gonna say. no yeah. offense not cover bands because in most of those those places you have to I don't know. When we before we moved downtown, we thought about moving to Waldo. We looked at some spaces in Waldo. Mm-hmm. I thought Waldo would be a, a pretty great place and probably a little easier for people from Lawrence, kids from Lawrence, to come into town maybe because they come yeah. the, off the, the southern route and come yeah. up, you know. But but I mean now people are like, no, it's so easy to get off right downtown, right? Or just come from we take the I seventy and we pop if, off and we're there. If you had something at seventy fifth and Warnell, I'd probably be there every night. Yeah, <laughs> you know, that's just stumbling distance. I like the Dodsons. I'm a fan of Dodsons. Yeah, I'd go out there a lot. Yeah, more, but I don't like. I, you know, I'm just. I, and Travis Kelsey, I think, even bought part of that building. There used to be that Tanner's there on the corner. What is that called? I saw the samples there right before all this. Okay. <laughs> okay. Steve Tulipana, thanks so much for being our guest uh, today. Thanks for chatting. I could go forever. It's been a pleasure. I hope we didn't make you repeat yourself too much. Everybody, uh, the 15-year Kickstarter anniversary of the Record Bar is this Friday. That is September 4th at Lemonade Park. You won't be able to be there now because you're going to hear this three weeks later. Nevertheless, the Kickstarter goes until October 4th. Correct. 
please help keep this great institution in Kansas City alive that supports so many, not only musicians, but staff members and just keeps the joy of flowing. Yep. Kansas City, stay safe, stay strong. Peace out. Peace out.